The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Hi, good afternoon, and welcome to Leadership Matters, informing leaders and inspiring solutions. We have a great show for you today. I'm Jenny Fromer, and I bring you greetings from Elbert Jewish Family and Children's Service in West Palm Beach, Florida. And also today with me on the phone is our co-host, John Janetta. Hi, John. Hi, Jenny. Glad to be here. And, John, you bring greetings from? Heartland Family Service in Omaha, Nebraska, and Council Bluffs, Iowa. Terrific, and thank you for joining me on the show today. We, I'd also really like to thank our guest for being here, David Phillips. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure, guys. I'm, I'm just delighted to be here, and thank the two of you for uh, inviting me. And we're going to tell the listeners why you're here. Uh, David Phillips is the CEO of the Elpert, excuse me, of the Jewish Federation of Palm Beach County. <laughs> I'm from Elpert Jewish Family and Children's Service. David is the CEO of the Jewish Federation of Palm Beach County. And David comes to us um, here in Palm Beach with an extensive background in working with um, actually different kinds of populations. And um, I'm really going to ask you, David, to talk a little bit about um, your background and what brought you to Palm Beach County. And your bio is, is on the show website, so people can read more about you. But I'm so thrilled you're here with us today. Thank you. And uh, let's talk about why you're here. Well, thank you, Jenny. Well, the first thing I want to make sure people understand is Jenny is a, a colleague, a dear colleague in this community, uh, and uh, I don't really know John as well, but it was always, uh, it's always a wonderful thing when one of your colleagues takes the time to say, would you like to be a guest? So, uh, Jenny, thank you very much. It's very kind of you. Um, I'm going to speak slowly because I know that sometimes uh, I only speak really good English, so I'll take you back in time maybe to how I got here. Uh, I started as a young a communal professional in the United Kingdom. Uh, I worked primarily in uh, residential social work with uh, multiple different client groups. Uh, it actually came about, would you believe, because I was a disc jockey and I was doing volunteer work for these residential units and someone said you should work there. So my life took a different turn. I fell in love with the notion of being in what I call the helping professions um, where you can facilitate growth and change. So I worked with client groups ranging from children with profound uh, uh, mental and physical disabilities to some of the most dangerous adolescent girls in the country, in England. Um, and then I discovered this thing called uh, Jewish Overnight Camp. And in 85 or so, I ventured across the ocean and fell in love with this informal, uh, this, this beautiful product that allows children to get away from home and and be part of a completely different community. And that really stuck with me. Uh, in 87, 
I met my wife, uh, Karen, at camp, and uh, we dated for a couple of years and decided which country we had to live in. So when people say to me, how did you end up in America, I say love. Oh. Love brought me to America. Isn't that sweet? That is that a very sweet story. Yeah, it may and not be true. I needed a green card and, you know. <laughs> well, so. we're pleased that you're here and particularly on this show today to talk about building sure. community, changes, results, challenges, sure. and vision. Um, we here in Palm Beach County have gone through some changes. Um, there are some wonderfully exciting opportunities ahead of us. Um, I know already that we have a question from a listener, which I'm going to tell you about in a little while. Sure. But from your perspective, um, how long have you been in the community and specifically uh, here at the Jewish Federation? And some of your thoughts about changes, results, challenges, and vision. Sure. Uh, I've been here about a year and a half now. I came most recently from Maryland, where I was working at a Jewish overnight camp and retreat center. So this was a significant shift in a different direction, but using a lot of the same, I hope, skills and, and opportunities. Um, so when, you, when, I, when I came down... I think I was brought in for a reason. There's a, there's a groundswell of change, I think, within the Federation movement, looking to bring people in who haven't necessarily been involved in the Federation system in the past. Mm-hmm. And, and so and I was one I of those people. David, if I can interrupt you and ask you to describe for our listeners who may not be familiar with, with what Federation is, sure. how that fits in in more of an organized Jewish community. Absolutely. If you think of the United Way, um, the easiest way to describe a federation is the Jewish equivalent of the United Way. It's a fundraiser. It's a planner. It's a, a strategic partner. It's a place where people go to where there are emergencies in the community, either domestically or globally, where they feel they can make a difference. It's a place for volunteers to center themselves and make a difference in their lives, both philanthropically and through their own activities on the board of directors or on any number of committees that help engage and build vibrant, vital community. So it's really the same. Does that help? Yes. Oh, there you go. Um, So I think I remember your question was, so what am I seeing here and what's the vision for community? Yes. Um, Vision for community is an interesting thing. By the way, I I tend to subscribe to the notion that um, visionaries is a total, is a, a phrase that people put out a lot. I think lots of people are visionaries. I think real visionaries are people who understand the impact of the various visions on the system and its ability to absorb them. So it's all well and good having these great ideas, but if you don't put them in a context of are they reasonable, are they feasible, are they financially viable, how long will they last, then you, don't, you, you miss out on something. So I believe a purposeful vision is, a, is to think about a place where people can be successful, uh, both individually and as groups, and provide infrastructure both domestically and globally that results in people having safe, happy, healthy, and productive lives. And that's why I get to have the best job in the world, because I get to be part of that. That sounds quite ex- inspiring. Um, Thank you. I'm glad how, you did. <laughs> how does that feel like on the ground? On the ground, it's a lot of hard work. Uh, on the ground, it's about a lot of uh, bringing people together around a table, hopefully, where they can find common ground. And common ground sounds easy, but when you have uh, different interests 
and different segments of the community and quite appropriately uh, feeling differently about subjects and topics um, than it really is. It's a political uh, position in many ways because what you really want to do is try to make sure people feel listened to. You want to make sure they feel respected. And then ultimately you're in that uh, difficult situation of sometimes having to say, I'm not sure we can actually do that. Um, and I think that's, that's part of a vision of a community is to know the limitations, but to dream big and bold. Dazzling dreams and visions attract people. And I think that's partly what we're trying to do is take an agency that's got a long and storied history that people have done remarkable things, but also look at where we can go for the next 50 years and how do we do it in a way that's engaging a generation that necessarily sees things differently than their parents and their grandparents. Hmm. Any comments, John? Any thoughts that you have on what? Yeah, you know, one thing I've been thinking about, David, yeah. is I've been in my job. I'm the I'm the CEO of a family service agency, similar to uh, Jenny's, and you know, in that it's multi-service and. Um, uh, but the, and I've been here for about four years, and I remember when I was being hired, they asked the, the board members doing the going, you know, sort of running the interview process, asked me what would what would my vision be for the agency, and it really stumped me because I thought, well, how could I possibly give an, a vision? I haven't even I haven't really even met anybody or fully understand what all you do, um, and it, it it just sort of reminds me from some of the comments that you made that visioning is an inclusive process. I mean, as the leader, you're sort of the one who carries the, the vision forward, but you really have to develop it collaboratively and iteratively with yeah. the people that you serve, don't you think? Yeah, if you do it in isolation, then really what you're talking about is one person's vision, which typically um, it's rare that those really have the legs to find um, long-term success. And I, I also think you can, you know, you can um, separate vision out into internal vision and external vision. So internally, I want every staff member who I have the privilege of working alongside to be successful, to feel that they are empowered. I mean, you know what I mean? And then you've got the external vision, which is more that big macro level, uh, 50,000 feet up vision of how you want a community to feel. Both of them require collaboration. Without it, you're simply dead in the water. Yeah. So, I, and and full disclosure, I'm a social worker by trade. I'm proud of it. We and won't I hold think, that against you, David. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm talking to two master social workers. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, I want to make sure that I give a plug to the profession that we've all chosen. You know, it's easy for me to describe myself as a CEO. It's a great title. My parents are thrilled. But the truth of the matter is, I'm a social worker, and I just do it at the macro level um, because that's what rocks my world. Um, it's a, it's, a, it's a remarkable field that we find ourselves in. And I, I know then from our common denominator here is that we really, I think, approach things with a systems orientation. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it, yep. It's about leading, understanding people and leading by understanding what people's needs are. And those might be your volunteers, the people whom we serve, donors, uh, David, you mentioned the internal piece, the employees. Absolutely. Who, they're who are, they're who critical. Are, yeah. So it, it's really, and other stakeholders, and it's, it's really understanding a very complex array of players, if you will. Completely. You couldn't have put it better. You're putting your arms around something which realistically isn't realistic. You can't, I don't remember who it was, it may have been the rank organization, you can't please all the people all the time. 
And uh, humanity, life, is about sometimes telling people things they don't want to hear, but that's what makes it more exciting. That's what makes it vibrant. I, I always... I always say to my, my colleagues, if I can, and if they're willing to listen to me, we should stumble. The more we stumble, it means we're moving in a direction. If we're simply stagnating and nothing's happening, then, then we're not going to make progress, which means, to me, progress is about serving the community that we're, we're charged with uh, doing. You know, that, that, that's our role here. So it's, it's a privilege. It really is. Hmm. And, and, John, I know... Again, we, we share kind of the same type of agency. Um, when you think about a, quote, Jewish United Way, what are the kinds of things that you, within your role or the role of a leader in a community, is dealing with when they're approaching uh, that type of uh, funding body? I'll just call it a funding body, or a partner is how I like to prefer to think of it, um, as to what the needs in the community are. Well, you know, there's always an interesting dynamic between the partner agencies and the United Way, or I imagine the same is probably true with the Federation, Mm -hmm. Um, because on one hand, the, the Federation or the United Way is the funder, and they have a very serious responsibility to the people who've donated them to them to be a good steward of those resources and make sure that something good is actually happening as a result of those investments so that the next time they go out and ask people to donate, they have a reason to do so. They also, um, so, for par- so from that perspective, they need to hold us accountable. Um, at the same time, uh, we see ourselves as partners, um, but it, it can create a weird dynamic because we're truly not partners from that power dynamic because they have all the money and we don't. We just have the expertise <laughs> to impact the change. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Yeah. Well, I, I hear true. that, David, if you could hold your thought in response, I think this is a really um, important aspect of partnerships to be talking about as we build community together. And if you can hold your thought, David, I will be right back. We will be right back after this break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. What are the reasons that over three-quarters of small businesses fail within three years? Why do 70% of U.S. women-owned businesses make less than $50,000 a year? What causes mid-sized companies to stagnate? Although today many fundamentals of business remain the same, there are critical current changes that are not being acknowledged, and the result is costly. Tune in to Moving Forward with host Jen Sabin. 
We'll discuss the core reasons and plans of action to keep your business moving forward. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Hi, and welcome back. We have a great guest today. I'm Jenny Frumer, and I'm co-hosting with John Janetta, and our guest today is David Phillips who is the CEO of the Jewish Federation of Palm Beach County. And just before we went to break, we were talking about how this kind of um, interesting dynamic relationship uh, plays out when we have a funding body and very broadly defined and organizations such as uh, social service or human service organizations that are partnered with the, with that funding body. And David, you were about to say... Yeah, it, it, it's a really strange dynamic, and it was the first time I'd really on the uh, in my previous uh, positions I've been on the. Uh, I'm going to use the developmental terms because I think they're just easier. Uh, I was on the child side. I was a, an agency that received funding from uh, the, the the parent entity in many ways, and it was a, it was always interesting to me um, how it was framed by both sides. Now I'm technically again I, I don't mean it in a in anything other than a descriptive term, um, on the parent side, it's very convoluted because at times, for example, Jenny, you're my colleague and we're siblings, but then from a funding point of view, yes, you come to us for funding and our job is to make sure, as John had said, we spend that money that was given in all good faith by our donors wisely. So it is a convoluted relationship, but in the end, I think it all comes down to establishing trust. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, I, I, I think that, um, you know, my kids said to me, uh, Dad, what do you do for a living? And what I say to them is I just build relationships. And while it sounds corny, the reality is at the very core of who we are, you can only build relationships where there is a trust in um, as a foundation. Without that trust, everything else goes away. And so that takes an inordinate amount of time and effort because what you, I'm not going to say battle against, but what you, what you run up against is history. And history is something that I can't be responsible for unless it was my history. So when you join these uh, uh, agencies that are community-based, you absorb, you take on history that you can't possibly either understand initially or control. So for the last year and a half, I've been trying to create my own history with you know, my colleagues, and it's challenging. But at its root, you try to make sure that there's trust. And that helps a long way, I think. 
And I can't help thinking about that in terms of leadership. I mean, there's positional leadership. You know, you come as the CEO of something and all that you bring to the table. But then there's also that legitimate kind of leadership or power where you really have to um, earn, if you will, those yeah. relationships and the, that capacity to really move things forward and work. And and then the history, I, I can see how that can get in the way. It's It's, <laughs> it's not that hard to imagine. Well... People, the great thing about humanity is we have long memories. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's lots of different types of ways of interacting with people. And what I try to do is I try to essentially be as transparent as I can. Uh, I'm the same person that you're listening to now than you would find throughout my career. Because, I'm, firstly, I think I'm just not smart enough to have the hidden agendas. I aspire to them one day in the future. But it's also just a much easier way of living life is to be as clear and as transparent and as honest as you can possibly be. Mm-hmm. Um, and power is an interesting dynamic. Mm-hmm. And what uh, in, in my career, whenever I've supervised or tried to coach people, what I tell them is the moment you have to display your power, you've probably uh, taken a step backwards. Because mm-hmm. people understand power. They know if you have it or you don't. You don't need to force it down their throats. Mm-hmm. And, and if we're talking today about building community, then it sounds like everything that we're discussing, and, and John, you mentioned something earlier as well, about how really critical it is to uh, bring people, and I'm just going to use the expression, to the table, mm-hmm. that how important it is to be able to articulate what it is, uh, if it's not vision, because that's too strong a word or that's a word that, that one doesn't want to necessarily kind of hang a carrot, you know, as a carrot, right. then it, it's still bringing people to the table. And I know in your community, you've been really successful in so many different ways. And, and what are some of the ways you do that? You're talking to John? Or well, me? I was asking John because I, I think yeah, that... I hope John. that how do, how do you build the community? Yeah, how have you managed to do that? Well, you know, it's interesting because I was thinking of this from the perspective of our United Way because of its similarity and structure and purpose to a federation. And mm-hmm. because we we recently had a change, we had somebody in in the CEO role for a long, long time, a couple decades, I would guess, and then that person retired, and a lot of the senior leadership ended up leaving too. And so now we have this new uh, person in that role who actually, incidentally, came from a United Way in Florida. And um, she's got all this energy and passion and new ideas. Um, But one of the things she talks a lot about is um, transparency, accountability, partnership, and then uh, it spells tape. I think the E stands for effectiveness or evaluation, but, and repeats those things constantly. And every time she talks to us, she's, and especially lately and early on focusing on the transparency because wanting to create that level of trust because at the same time she's wanting to go in a totally different direction as we've historically been an allocation-based organization and she wants to move more towards community impact. Hmm. And, you know, so trying to bring the community along, both the community of partner agencies as well as the larger community, the stakeholders, the investors, and they weren't entirely excited, completely excited about making that shift because there was worry about the safety net role that United Way agencies play. Right. Any time you make dynamic change, John, don't you think, I'm interested uh, how it's being perceived more globally in the community. Any time you try to make dynamic change, is she meeting a lot of resistance or has it gone through? You know, I think she's, 
it's it's going along. It's a slow process, like you said, because she's building that trust, and she builds the trust by by being transparent. So one of the things is they, uh, she actually partnered with a couple of large community foundations in the in the area, and they're doing this vast research study of the needs in the community to use as the basis then for deciding what focus will what the focus of community impact work will be but also maintaining that there will be some level of allocation process continuing that focuses on those basic needs. So it's, yeah. it, you know, it's, it's very interesting, you know, watching it from this role and then thinking of it from my perspective in the community because obviously, yes, we do, all of us as human-serving agencies, have an ultimate responsibility to the community to demonstrate that the work we do and the investments that they make in us actually do make a difference, and it makes sense that you would take resources and concentrate them in a focused way on those areas that are most important for the community, that, 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 that those areas be addressed, and not just year after year just kind of touching the surface, but really never getting any further down the road with impact. Um, but then selfishly, you think now is putting the CEO hat on, but if we do that, I could potentially lose funding, and then programs that currently count on that funding aren't going to have it, and then what am I going to do? Yeah, that's no, tough. And and I I you know also can't help thinking, listening to the both of you about how we really talk about results, which is maybe that community impact, or if there's an allocation, or if there's a uh, a, a goal in terms of fundraising that you're trying to accomplish. I mean, results could be anything related to building community. It could be raising funds for capital to build buildings, which is part of building community. Uh, all of these things, at the end of the day, really are about relationships. Completely. And those Absolutely. different streams those different streams of funding are what our public wants. And then we've got to be responsive to a competitive marketplace. And I think that's one of the major challenges now for organizations like Federations and United Ways is philanthropy has shifted dramatically in the last 10, 20 years. Uh, the advent of the, you know, the Internet and the ability for people to, to dig in themselves to material, it's just tangibly uh, changed everything. And uh, we need to be responsive to that. And people want to know that their dollars are being used wisely and they're having impact. And, that, and uh, that's, that's the challenge. Sorry to interrupt you. Earlier in the show, you actually mentioned a different generation. Yeah. And how important it is to be able to reach that generation. And what kind of messaging are you as a Jewish Federation really getting out there? Well, the, the messaging is, um, it's got to be multidimensional because what we, what we know is that people don't necessarily hear or see things using the same media that they did in the past. So whether it's social media, whether it's billboards, whether it's uh, print materials, there are lots of different ways you have to approach. But fundamentally, I still think people uh, more often than not rely on other people that they trust. Um, we, we know that there are plenty of examples in the business world where the most effective uh, means of recruitment or selling your product is because someone said something that you trust because they're trustworthy and you say, okay, I'll try that as well. And I think that's where we've gotten a little bit lost. We've, we've, we need to get back to the point of saying that we're providing impact, demonstrating it, and having our ambassadors go out and be comfortable sharing that and being proud of their association with us. Um, so the, the, the messaging, I think, is, is way more complex than it ever used to be. Um, you know, 
just the word Google Analytics makes people go uh, shudder a little bit. But that's the future. It, it's how we're going to get our messages across uh, by very clearly tailoring them to uh, the desires and the needs of the people who wish to donate or get engaged. And then the intergenerational piece shows in kind of a different kind of dynamic. Um, Completely. Um, People give money differently uh, based on the way they are generationally. You know, for some people, they feel an obligation to give to their community. But for others, they don't. I I meet with plenty of donors who... um, who say that they feel there's an obligation for them to give. But when, you, when I go down a generation or two, it's really more of a, okay, David, please demonstrate the value proposition that you're putting in place that will result in me wanting to associate with you because my name carries value. And they're, they're getting it. And, I, and for me, it doesn't matter whether the gift is $18 or you know, 18000 or 180000 It's all about the relationship because... These people have worked very hard for their money. I think it's spectacular. I think it's a brilliant part of American culture that uh, philanthropy is a very key part of who we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's remarkable. Yeah, and John, John, you have done a lot of fundraising recently. How, how are you being successful in doing that? Well, it's the same, the same thing. You know, there's huge differences in generations and the younger generations do want to see a value proposition. They also want to, they also want to be more involved. It's not enough just to give money, but how can they be a part of it? And so trying to find those meaningful opportunities. We've been involved in a, um, a fa- fairly large capital campaign, about 11 million of a 30, and it's a $30 million project, 11 million we're, we're trying to raise privately. And, um, you know, major donors around here, we're able to leverage our reputation. We've been in the community. We're homegrown. We're almost 140 years old. So we have. There's a lot behind the brand to open doors and to make to to have that kind of trust and relationship that makes it relatively easy to ask for those kinds of donations for a project that people like. And of course, before I went out and asked the money, I was going around and meeting with people just to educate them about what we were thinking about and to get their feedback on it. And was the timing right and that sort of a thing. So it's the same. What we were talking about earlier, being really transparent, this is what we're thinking about doing, asking for, for feedback, having them join the process before then coming out and saying, hey, would you like to, here's what we're doing, would you like to give us mm-hmm. money to support this? Yeah. Um, we're going to take a break right now. Thank you for that, both David and John. We're going to come back in just a few minutes, so hang in there. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at innovisions.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. 
Today's business marketplace is becoming increasingly global thanks to technologies that didn't even exist a few short years ago. Your business might be a startup or you might be one of the global 500. Either way, you're probably looking at customers and competitors in faraway regions. Listen for Global Reach with host Tay Revez as she brings together experts, ideas, and listeners to help you anywhere in the world. Global Reach is broadcast every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Hi, and welcome back. We're um, talking about building community, uh, challenges, results, changes, and vision. Uh, John Janetta is co-hosting with me today, and we have David Phillips, who is our guest from the Jewish Federation of Palm Beach County. And we've really been talking a lot about uh, building community and specifically as it relates to relationships. And I don't think we've really stated this, um, but just to kind of revisit building community, we really mean building community. We mean bringing people together. We mean, as John was suggesting, maybe building buildings. Um, We're building partnerships. We really are uh, very broadly defining building community. And during this segment, we usually have some questions, and I actually do have a question from Peter from Miami. So uh, I'm going to kind of put it out there, John and David and whoever jumps in first, but there can't be any silence, so you have to really be (laughs) proactive about this. So Peter writes, he says, I'm from a mid-sized nonprofit uh, human service agency, uh, we merged 11 months ago, and soon after, we lost our CEO. So we're now dealing with the merger. Change is hard, and the challenges include clashes of culture. One organization that we merged with tended to be very aggressive, have a very strong business model, and then our agency tends to be more of old-school social service perspective. What are some of the suggestions your guests and you as co-hosts may have as how I, as a middle manager, can try and transform change and culture? Wow. Um, John, I was going to say, I'd love to hear what you have to say. (laughs) I was hoping you'd just take the bull by the horns and run with it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think firstly we should thank the – was it Peter? Peter from Miami, yes. Peter, we should thank Peter for the, the question. It's a, it's a fascinating one because uh, I, can, I can sort of relate to it. Um, cultural change is the most difficult of any kind of change, uh, and it, it, it affects every part of the facet of the being. 
and the being being the agency itself. So, you know, when you bring two entities together, they don't necessarily come together because they want to. And I, I, we don't really have the background as to whether or not that was the case. Uh, uh, but many times those, those um, moldings together happen because one agency was stronger uh, and one was in dire trouble or because there was felt to be an opportunity to, to gain some kind of um, material advantage in the marketplace or because cost is, uh, it was cost effective. Uh, in this particular case, uh, I think Peter's in a tough situation. And I'm not sure there really is any great guidance other than to be honest, if you can, take a leap of faith with your managers and highlight that these cultural shifts and challenges are happening. Because I think the more you highlight them and the more you look in the mirror, the more you're likely to come to terms with the different cultures coming together. Um, I, I frankly have not... I think it's rare that cultures... Meld. I think typically one culture usually beats up on the other and wins out. Uh, and I know that may not be the best of messages, but it's a reality check. Um, so now it's a matter of how do you mitigate and make people as successful as they possibly can be. And I go back to the fact that that's about transparency and the, uh, taking that leap of faith to share with your senior management that this is happening because they may not be seeing it the way you are. Mm-hmm. And, and that and helps. Yes, and of course, we, we really don't know if this was a desirable merger or not, as you suggested. But, Peter, we really appreciate the question. And, John, I want to give you a chance to respond. Yeah, you know, I think that was uh, those are excellent remarks, um, David. And I, I, I think the only thing I would add is that um, it can take a long, long time to, to blend the cultures or for, for the situation to be resolved. I, I'm involved in a, uh, in a project that um, is sponsored by the Alliance for Children and Families, and there's a number of agencies across the country that are, are doing this work, trying to elevate strategy in the, in the work of the agency overall, and a couple of the um, other um, organizations doing this are, are, are dealing with merger issues, some as, as long ago as 10 or 15 years, and they're still, they still have issues that um, coming about because of the merger and others where it's a real, it's a very recent merger and trying to deal with that. Um, but I think the transparency is key. I think the fact that you have a new CEO coming in is a real opportunity. That if that person's a bridge builder, and I think that the big thing to avoid is that as human beings we love stories and we're great storytellers. And if you're not transparent about some of the issues happening around the cultural changes and clear about what the roots of of the feelings are, people can really easily start telling stories and create a whole bunch of drama out of nothing. That when, in fact, if you were to go through, if you were to write out the story and go through and highlight all the facts, you'd find very little that could be highlighted. And I think that's that's the big danger. And if you can help your staff keep focused on that and ditching the drama, focus on your work and what's real, what are the real facts that you're dealing with, I think that can help move along the cultural change that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And I really appreciate both of your insights on this on this question. Um, my two cents on this would be if I don't think about um, Peter, if you can just bear with me, if I don't think about like two organizations merging and I think about parallel process, which our social workers do a lot, and think, for example, of a board. So there may be a change in a board. Um, there may be younger people joining a board. There may be uh, what Peter calls clashes of culture um, around any kind of change at any level within an organization as well as two complete separate entities merging together. 
And so the parallel process piece that I take away from this is uh, how to have the courage, you know, taking leadership regardless of what level of leadership you have. And I believe that at some level or at some point, all of us are leaders regardless of what position we hold within an organization. That taking, having the courage to uh, take, David, you called it a leap of faith. Yeah, and I often say you take that leap of faith and you grow wings on your way down. Yeah. Because sometimes it takes that kind of courage. And and you've got to be prepared for the consequences of that. And that's not easy. It's very easy to say. It's not necessarily as easy to do. So you're suggesting maybe your wings don't sprout? <laughs> no, I think they do. I think they do. And you grow and learn from every situation. Right, right. That's the key. And and it's the, the concept of stumbling you got to keep you got to keep moving forward we don't often have a choice to turn our backs or say well this isn't working i'm done here absolutely, absolutely. i think walt disney used to say fail forward say that again john <laughs> walt disney used to say fail forward as long as you're moving in that direction absolutely absolutely i think the um if I can revisit, and I hope, Peter, that we answered, if not all of your questions, some of your questions, and I really appreciate you emailing um, down in Miami, not too far from us. I, I can't help thinking of a conversation, a piece of the conversation we had a little bit ago when we were talking about relationship building. And you know, we talk sometimes about the concept of social networking or social capital. And while these may be business terms and also, David, you mentioned earlier about being competitive in the market and having Mm -hmm. a competitive advantage, uh, just curious about both of your comments or, you know, thoughts about social capital and the part that plays. Well, I went first last time, so I'm going to let John take this one. Go for it, John. <laughs> well, I, 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 you know, I think social capital is probably our greatest asset. And, um, you know, one of the things, you know, besides, from my perspective as a CEO, besides the, our employee talent, which I guess I consider part of that social capital, um, it's like my main focus of what I do. Because if I don't have that, I, don't, I, I can't offer anything to the community in terms of services that are effective and meet needs. I mean, I can have all kinds of brilliant ideas, but I don't, if I don't have people who are in sync with the vision, who get the, the way that we want to do our work and how we're doing it and why, and are passionate and moving forward, then I, I'm not able to accomplish anything. Is that kind of what you were getting at, Jenny? Yeah, I, I just, when I think of relationships, I always come back to... How how do we create those relationships? Yes, we have to have trust and we have to be transparent and we have to do all of those things that build relationship and we have to be dynamic because not everybody does relationship the same way. Sorry, go ahead, John. Sorry. I was just going to say, and then clear too about your expectations and um, you know making making those relationships your priority. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think as, as, a, as a leader, you can be thinking about cost control and all that sort of stuff, but you're not thinking about the full equation and what the impact would be. Mm-hmm. And David, you were going to say, thank you for that, John. David? Yeah, I, I think everything you're saying is absolutely wonderful, brilliant. It's, 
uh, totally uh, on point. I think one of the things we don't necessarily take a lot of time with social capital is the evaluation side of it is to take that step back. And maybe it's because you know, three social workers in, on, on a phone call, it, it, we're going to do that at some point. But in general, I don't think we take enough time to step back and evaluate how we're using it, why we're using it, and the influences on us. And I, I, I tend to think that if we were a little bit more reflective in, in the jobs and the roles we have, we may be um, dealing with some of the, the issues in a, uh, of relationship building in a, in a more transparent, uh, productive way. Uh, maybe more intentional? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I know the largest or maybe the single most significant challenge I'm uh, folks in, in my position and I dare say in the United Way world as well in, in general are facing is talent, is persuading people that this is a viable and vital part of uh, a career pathway. And, um, you know, I, I look at the talent pool available and I fear for the, for the future. And at the same time, sometimes I'm delighted by it because of some of the talent I get to be surrounded by. And you can only really evaluate that when you take a step back. And, and I also would like to pick up when we talk about talent, about how we engage with volunteers who yep. I also see as an extension of the organization and really having a role in building community. We're going to take a break. I really want to thank you, David and, and John, for your insightful comments, and I'm really enjoying this conversation. And we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network leadership matters is brought to you by innovisions need to improve leadership staff or organization performance contact innovisions today for quality effective and affordable leadership staff and organization development training coaching and consulting services call 858-244-8264 that's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at innovisions.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. 
or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Hi, and welcome back to this last segment. I'm Jenny Fruma. I'm co-hosting today with John Janetta, and we have David Phillips, the CEO of Jewish Federation of Palm Beach County, as our guest. And um, I promised the listeners a lively conversation and discussion, and I think that's really what we've been having. And I so appreciate, David, your uh, insight and your willingness to share. Um, thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. It's been wonderful. And and John, as a co-host again, I have to thank you. I really enjoy co-hosting with you. Are there any final thoughts that you have, John, just as we kind of wrap up today? Yeah, well, uh, thanks, Jenny. Yeah, I, I just want to thank you, David, for uh, being on the show. It's been great. I've really enjoyed your um, your passion and your energy for the work. Um, I hope some, next time I'm in West Palm, uh, maybe uh, Jenny and you and I can get together and we can hear more about because uh, we've talked a lot about what are the components of a vision and wh- how it's important to create that, but we haven't had time to actually hear what your vision is for the work that you're doing in your community. I'd be interested in learning about that. So either we'll do that in person or maybe we'll, we'll just have to have you on the show again. That's very kind of you. And I think that the message sometimes for me about vision is it's an evolving process and it's, it's, it's uh, too easy to say, oh, here's a vision. I think it's got to be fluid. And I think it's got to be responsive to the community's needs. But I would love to get together with you guys when, you're, when you come into town, John. Great. This is usually the time where I ask our guest about um, someone who they believe was an extraordinary leader. And so we're very curious. I'm sitting with bated breath, David, to hear. Um, who, really, who for you has demonstrated extraordinary leadership characteristics, and can you tell us why? Yeah, and I, I, I go back to the notion of uh, mentors and coaches, and I'm, I'm somewhat um, jaded about the whole idea that someone can be appointed as a, as a mentor. Um, but when I look back and, and I think about this question, I, uh, someone who comes to mind is a woman uh, who was at United Way of Allegheny County in Pittsburgh when I got my first job out of of uh, college when I went to Pitt, uh, and uh, Joyce Wilbur was the uh, Senior Vice President of uh, Financial Resource Development, I believe. I think that was Joyce's title. But what she did that I found remarkable was she gave me the bandwidth to play. She gave me the bandwidth to try different things. She was brave enough to take someone from outside of a system and typically, you know, in the, I don't know about in those days, but it was, it was quite unusual to hire someone for the job that I was going for. And Joyce demonstrated trust and passion, and she beat up on me, and she was willing to lead me in a way that enabled me to, I think, find some reasonable degrees of success in the future. So whenever I think of where I am now and how it's going, uh, I, I think back to, to Joyce and extraordinary leadership. Can, can you give us an example of what you considered being beaten up about? Yeah, I, as a young professional, you you sit and you want to be included in everything, and you want to be you want to be part of everything. And what Joyce said to me was, "It will come. You're running too fast. Wait until it comes to you." And that was a kind. Uh, at the same time, I can't tell you it wasn't a little bit devastating because I wanted to be in on those really exciting meetings. Mm-hmm. And then over time. She brought me in, and she brought me in as a peer and as a, 
a trusted member of the team versus just helicoptering me or as it parachuting me in. And I thought that was an extraordinarily generous and thoughtful way of bringing a person's career along. It was more about how she could help me versus what she needed. And I think that's extraordinary. That's, that's the vision for great supervision from my perspective. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how that can translate into um, aspects of building community. I, I think it's a lesson. I think it's a lesson in how we go about bringing talent along and making sure that we don't expose it too early or too quickly because I think when we find someone who is you know, exciting and vibrant, we, we tend to, I think, rush them through a process. I'm a great believer in process. I think that people need an opportunity to fail. They need to succeed. They need to be um, exposed to different uh, modalities of both professional and personal life, and I think they become a little bit more rounded and a little bit more able to bounce off of the things that are challenges and rush towards the problems that confront us. And thereby, hopefully, greater results and greater impact. Uh, In the end, you've got to look in the mirror and say, am I making a difference? And if you feel good about that, then you should continue doing it. And uh, to me, Joyce gave me that grounding. And uh, it it was uh, remarkable. Mm-hmm. Have you, John, I'm just wondering, had a similar experience with a leader in terms of some of these characteristics? You know, I've been really lucky to have um, leaders who, you know, sort of gave me the latitude I needed to to grow, and but who would bring me back in and coach me if they saw I was maybe turning left when I ought to be going straight, uh, which was great. So it was it was a way for me to get that feedback but not in a way that was demeaning. It was positive. It was uplifting. So like David said, you know, sometimes it felt demoralizing because it wasn't what I wanted to do, but yet I appreciated at the same time I was that the actions were helping me. You know, it's similar to parenting. Sometimes you know your parents are doing things that you really, really sucks, but at the same time you sort of understand the back of your mind somewhere when you're being your most honest that what they were doing was good for me, and I appreciated that, even though it didn't feel good at the time necessarily. What's that thing called? I think it's called tough love, something yeah, like that. Tough love. I think there's elements of it that are that are indicative in great supervision. Yeah, and to me, it it just seems, and and of course, really appreciate you sharing that story, David, because I also tend to agree that it's really hard to make a mentor or to make a mentee, but rather that that tends to be a natural process. It's organic for me. I don't think mm-hmm. it can be appointed. Yeah. And those opportunities, um, my concern sometimes is that when we are under the gun and when we are so task-centered and so task-oriented and, you know, crossing T's and dotting I's and all the things that we have to do within our everyday business, that we don't always take that breath and that pause and step back and really think about what it means, even though it's an organic process, what it means to mentor or lead or what it means to build community. Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. So sometimes it is that that quiet space um, and the opportunity to really think, you call it looking in the mirror. it, it's about us, it's about who we are and the relation, kinds of relationships that we 
ultimately can build to further our, I'm not going to call it vision, <laughs> but to further our journey and what it is we want to accomplish at the end of it as professionals and as part of the community. Right. Absolutely. Well, I really want to thank you, David, for joining us today. This has been a distinct pleasure having you as a colleague um, and as a partner here on the show with John and I. Thank you. It's my pleasure, and thank you both, and, and uh, it's, a, it's a real treat. Thank you. Thank you. And, John, again, thanks so much for co-hosting with me. And we are done with another um, session this week, and please join us next week, every Wednesday afternoon, for Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders and Inspiring Solutions. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter. Matter.